This is a Pele Media Podcast. Welcome back to Ghostbusters Minute. Ghostbusters Minute is the fan podcast that overanalyzes the 1984 classic film Ghostbusters. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And Brady, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How about you? Fantastic. A little bit later than we usually record, isn't that's it? That's true. Yeah, but that's fine because we have a great show for you today. We're going to cover minute number six. So, the sponge sponge migration. Uh, tell me I got a lot that. of notes on sea sponges today. We'll get to this in a minute. First, we're going to do the rundown of what actually happens in minute six yes. as we usually do at the top. So, if you're ready to go, I'm ready to go. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, minute number six of Ghostbusters at the six-minute mark. After hearing about the spook sighting at the library, Peter Venkman tells Ray Stance that he is very excited for him and tries to get Ray to investigate. Ray says that Venkman has to come and that the PKE readings are off the charts. Buried the needle! At 6 minutes and 19 seconds, Peter says under his breath that he can feel it. Peter asks Jennifer to come back later. Jennifer responds with 8 o'clock. Vinkman says, I was just thinking 8 o'clock. At 6 minutes 39 seconds, we are back at the New York Library. This again is an exterior shot of the actual New York Library in New York City. Vinkman tells Stance that he has been meeting with every schizo in the five boroughs and tells him that they've had that tells him that they have had a paranormal experience. At 6 minutes, 56 seconds, Stance tells Venkman that he was present at an undersea, unexplained mass sponge migration. At 6 minutes, 56 seconds, Egon Spangler is seen sitting on the floor using a stethoscope on a table in the library interior. At 6 minutes, 59 seconds, 6 minutes, 59 seconds, Venkman tells Stance that the sponge has migrated about a foot and a half. So right. there we go, minute number six, the last we see of Jennifer in the Ghostbusters canon. But uh, again, we have a little bit more of Ray Stance in his character, this like uh, childlike quality that he has where he's super excited about this kind of paranormal stuff. Yeah, Ray was definitely my favorite Ghostbuster growing up, and I think that's probably the, the case with a lot of children because he's just so childlike right. and um, so much fun. And uh, yeah, it's I, Ivan Reitman actually referred to um, the three Ghostbusters as we see in the beginning. Uh, Ray is the heart of the Ghostbusters, Egon is the brains, and Peter is the mouth. <laughs> so which Ninja Turtle is he? Oh, Michelangelo. Michelangelo. That's exactly yeah. what I was going to say. Egon's Donatello. Yeah. But who is, I guess Winston would probably be Leonardo, right? Because they're just know, about man. the cool and collected guys in the situation. Yeah. They're like the everyman, but Raphael is the hothead, and I kind of think that Vinkman is a bit of the hothead. I don't know. Right? I'm, not that, I'm not that well-versed in Ninja Turtles. Ghostbusters was always my thing growing up. I never really watched the Ninja Turtles cartoon. I always, you know, if there's like four characters together, I try to figure out which one is the personality of the Ghostbuster or which one is the personality of the Ninja Turtle. And I guess like when you package things for kids, it's important to make a character that each one kind of appeals to a personality trait. And I think that's what made the Spice Girls such a tour de force when they were because like each little girl could kind of say like, well, I'm I'm the athletic one or I'm the one who likes fashion, you know? Yeah, I can see that. You don't, you don't really have that anymore. Do you? Yeah. And then, and then the personality trait that everyone can, uh, you know, identify with ginger spice. (laughs) See, I'm a redhead. So I identify with ginger. You identify with ginger spice. Well, Jerry Howell is pretty hot. So yeah, well, uh, I identify with her too. So anyway, um, so I don't really have a whole lot of notes about this scene. Uh, it, there is uh, a little bit going on. I think that they had to reshoot the exterior of the New York library. A lot I was, was going to ask because with Minute Zero and Minute One, you know, as we said, they had to shoot oh, everything in one five-hour sitting. So I don't know about that, actually. In fact, really? I tried to look that up and couldn't find any notes on it if those were done on the same day because that would be amazing if they were. But just, just that opening scene shot in one day is amazing. But I couldn't find any notes if this was the same day or if they had to come back and shoot again. I'm assuming they had to come back and shoot again. 
uh, because it sounds like they had to reshoot the exterior scene a lot because the extras were paying so much attention to Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray, you know, to Saturday Night yeah. Live heavies walking into the library huh. that they had to reshoot it and be like, oh, you know, look at them. You know, they're ad-libbing a lot of lines and stuff like that. But Wow. Yeah. Uh, but I do have a lot of notes on sea sponges. Do you want to hear about that? Yes. Okay. I mean, that's what all the listeners have been waiting for. Uh, Sitting through, what, six episodes now just to hear about sea sponges. So I was talking about how they had to reshoot that scene a lot with the extras. Mm -hmm. Apparently, there was a different piece of dialogue that wasn't about the sea sponges that was in that, uh, and in post-production, Dan Aykroyd ad-libbed the part about the sea sponges. So the sea sponge migration line was added in post-production. The original line was about a multiple high-altitude rockfall. Since the bit of dialogue was included in a long shot of the actors, Reitman had his editors re-record it and insert it over the soundtrack in post-production in a, in a looping session. You know, and they have these um, uh, ADR sessions, additional right. dialogue recording, where they bring the actors in and they have to re—they go over their lines because a lot of the onset audio is not used in film because there's so much other stuff going on. Yeah. You so, know, um, I had a little bit of information uh, yeah, hit me. about this. And if Peter has an arc throughout this movie, it's that he goes from being a sort of non-believer to a believer. And... Mm-hmm. This is uh, exemplified early on in the movie with stuff like telling Ray, showing him that he doesn't believe. He's and a skeptic. He's a skeptic. We yeah. see him at first kind of gigging the system. And then when he gets here, he's all of his questions to Alice are, are you hallucinating? He mentions the schizophrenics to Ray when they're walking in the library. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I got um, just a little bit real quick on the PKE meter because oh, yeah, Ray yeah. does mention the PKE meter. So PKE meter, the full name for that is the psychokinetic energy meter, and it's used to measure the amount of psychokinetic energy, as the name would imply, uh, in a place. So it, basically they use it to lead them to ghosts. It kind of serves the same idea as a dowsing rod. Do you know what a dowsing rod is? No. Okay, so it used to be back in the day people claimed that they had the ability to find water in the desert and what they would do is they would find a branch that looked like a y right so imagine a y and imagine it turned upside down and somebody's holding both of the arms of the y and they tilt it down and what they would do was walk along and whenever they felt that there was water the stick would point towards the ground so these are like huck like basically grifters that would go around from town to town and be like, well, I'll take you guys to water. If you'll follow me, we'll drill a well. So they'd walk around with these dowsing rods, and when it would start to point down, they'd be like, oh, here we go. This is this is where it is. So, so that's where that comes from. Well, it's just kind of a general idea. So okay, the, the okay. BKE meter would be like the dowsing rod of the Ghostbusters world, except in their universe, it works. Yep. In our universe, dowsing rods do not work. They're a way for people to take your town's money and then skip <laughs> over to you know Shelbyville and run suckers! the same game over there. Sayonara, suckers! <laughs> See you later, Buxton. Well, still, the, I mean, for Dan Aykroyd to take that and, yeah, you know, sort of put it in the movie adds to his desire to just put as much authenticity in this as he will. And as we will find in an upcoming episode, especially when we talk about ectoplasm, um, a lot of this stuff comes from the spiritualist movement of the Victorian era, where people were huge into the idea of like seances, mm-hmm. and people would go around to towns, and rich people would pay a lot of money to go into rooms and, you know. Uh, commune with the dead and stuff like that. When we get into ectoplasm, like that is straight up right out of the spiritualist movement. Okay, we well, got anything else for this minute? No, that about does it. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and wrap it up right now. We will see you back again tomorrow, minute number seven. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And we're here to remind you that death is but a door, time a window. We'll be back. Ghostbusters Minute is a fan-supported podcast. To become a supporter, visit us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gbminute. You can also find us on social media at facebook.com slash ghostbustersminute, twitter.com slash gbminute, 
Instagram at Ghostbusters Minute, and visit our website at GhostbustersMinute.com, where you can find merchandise such as t-shirts, stickers, and free balloons for the kids. Our theme song is Ectoplasm by Audionautics, which is licensed under the Creative Commons Attributions License.